Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Food Navigator Asia's brand new monthly podcast, FNA Trailblazers. This is a series where we will speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage startups in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and I will be your host for this series. Joining me today is my very first guest, all the way from Australia, is Simon Newsted. Simon is the founder of Vegan Chocolate Startup Bite Society, which is said to be zero profit, along with the objective of lowering the prices of vegan goods worldwide. Now, Simon, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Pearly. Yeah, thanks very much for the opportunity, and, and to be the first uh, guest on your, your new series is very exciting. So, yeah, thank you. No, no, the honor is all ours. So, just to dive straight into this, to kick things off, let me just dive right in and start by asking you this. So most startup founders, even those that have an ethical mission per se, hope to make good money or even one day to like benefit from a bumper or multinational takeover, if you know what I mean. But for you, I see you are pledging to make sort of like zero profit and also to have no, and you also have no advertisement budget, I hear. Now that is very incredibly admirable, but doesn't it undermine the impact you could have per se? And how do you aim to achieve this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, you are right. It's a it's a unique project in that it is a um, firstly it's mission driven. So it's driven for and it's a vegan project and it's uh, almost like a food activism project in a way. And so we operate at cost and we actually sell our products, our vegan chocolates, at wholesale at cost. So we don't go and um, put on extra margins on top. Um, and the whole point of the the project is to show that you know we can deliver vegan uh, products which are price competitive as well as being tasty and better for the environment, better for the uh, the animals and so forth. Um, so it's an interesting model because, um, yes, you're right, we don't have a, you know, a, a large advertising or marketing bar, uh, budget and it's also a bootstrap project, um, so we don't have external investors. Um, so the challenge for us is going to be, you know, taking this out and, and we're leveraging a lot on the community. So there's a lot of word of mouth. There's a lot of like community you know, uh, involvement and, um, and actually to be frank, like the community is helping us to actually launch. So they've helped us get into stockers. They've helped us to go and get off the ground. And now we're in a position where we're in three countries and, and kind of growing. Um, we're in Australia, which is where I'm based. Um, we also expanded to New Zealand and just into uh, Hong Kong. Um, so we partnered up together with uh, Green uh, Green Common and Green Monday. Um, they're the folks behind Omni Pork, and they're also the mm-hmm. ones who brought uh, Beyond Meat um, and yes. Just Egg and, and a few other very well-known um, vegan brands to the region. Uh, and then also together with them, we're going into uh, China very soon as well. And we're actively looking at um, other countries, including Singapore as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's a different model from your traditional kind of top-down marketing budget ad spend uh, approach and pretty excited about it. Yes, I'll look forward to that, to that coming over here so I can Absolutely. do it as well. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so um, maybe you could tell me a bit more about the inspiration and the backstory behind the formation of Bite Society. It's interesting, actually, because I don't come from a food industry background. Um, I've never been a chef. I've never worked in a restaurant in my life. Um, and so why – but my – uh, my coming to it is actually through the startup kind of industry. Um, I've worked in startups. I've also started my own startups. Um, uh, most recently, um, uh, a game, video game company, which has been successful uh, for many years. 
Um, and then I was looking at it and I was looking to invest in vegan startups. And I've done a few investments in both vegan as well as um, cell-based meat companies. Um, so, for example, Shock Meats in Singapore yeah, is yeah. one of I was one of the angel investors uh, for that in the in the early stages. Um, and that's really great. But I, I thought to myself, you know, there's not that many companies in Asia who are really starting up their own vegan projects. And I've got this background. And why not put this startup background to um, and see if I could go and start up myself? And, you know, having the, the benefit of being able to bootstrap it, as in not have investors, is that you can really kind of start with a blank slate and say, okay, what would the ideal mission-driven um, food project be? And how could we really go and have an impact? And the thing is, like, we're not trying to have an impact just with ourselves. Like, the whole model is to be transparent and to share our learnings and share all of our information, our finances, you know, what went right, what went wrong, share that out to help other vegan uh, projects and companies. And, and that's the actual, the larger goal of uh, Bite Society. You mentioned that you're also an angel investor and you support like various other food startups, correct? Vegan and cell-based food. That's right. Yes. My question here is when you have to do, when you do this, you will definitely have to deal with, I would say, more financially motivated stances, you know, for some of these companies. So how do you handle these in line with your own mission? And basically, what's your end goal in working with these startups? You know, I, I'm, I'd be the first to go and say that, you know, our model at Bite Society is definitely not something that every company be, should be doing. I mean, you know, we need, we need, you know, competitive, you know, investment and, you know, angel investment and VC investment in these companies and competitive pressures to drive innovation. And you look at Beyond Meat and Impossible and Hungry Planet and all these leading plant-based protein companies, they're all striving and driving competitively to make each other better and make themselves better. And we're seeing the the end result in these very successful products. Um, so I think when it comes to angel investing, um, I'm looking at um, two things. Um, one, obviously, is, you know, can this be a successful project that ultimately is going to, you know, go and be a deliverer, a win? Um, but I'm also looking at the potential impact, um, as in, can this really move the needle? Can this really go and... Um, replace, you know, whatever segment of animal agriculture it's it's trying to target. So, for example, I'm an investor in um, a company called um, Ocean Hugger Foods, um, as an example, out of US, and they do a plant-based um, sushi and um, sashimi, and they've moved into eel and, and other things. So, that's very exciting. And Shock Meats, it's not a vegan company per se; it's a, a cell-based meat company. Um, but they have the potential to, you know, replace, you know, traditional crustacean farming, which is, you know, rife of, with environmental and problems, you know, from antibiotics used to pollution to, you know, you know, the list goes on. And also, how can I help? Like, you know, are there companies earlier in the process where, you know, a hands-on kind of value-add uh, angel investor can assist them? And and I see Bite Society as kind of like a, you know, a part of that as well. It's helping out. And so far, I think we've helped out about five other startups. Um, so we've given advice and supported, even though we're fairly young ourselves, you know, less than two years old. Um, so, yeah, that's that's part of the mission. All right. If we move back to Bite Society, I can imagine that in this year-long journey, there have been a number of challenges that you've been, face- that you've been facing. So what are the sort of main challenges you've seen with setting this up and keeping it going? You know, the funny thing was at the start, the first big challenge was to find a uh, a co-packer and and you know even though we're the customer you know we had to do a lot of convincing of the co-packer 
um, because, you know, this was the first time, you know, a vegan client was coming to them. Uh, and we were the first vegan client to come to them and say, hey, could we work together to do something that doesn't have dairy and doesn't have any other animal ingredients? And they at the start, they actually turned us down and they said, no, we can't do that. <laughs> so it took it took a little bit of um, backwards and forwards and convincing them and showing them the growth graphs. Like I'm I'm from Melbourne and the growth rate is absolutely amazing. Like according to Roy Morgan, um, over ten percent of the population now are vegan or vegetarian in in Australia, and the growth rate has been huge. So it took a little bit of convincing, but you know I think that was the biggest challenge first was to go and get get someone on board um, who we could kind of work with and feel confidence and. I think after that, the, the other big challenge we had was when it came to launch time, um, just under six months ago, where we unfortunately, we, we had a bit of a challenge with uh, positioning the, the chocolate balls because some of the initial stockers kind of went with the, um, this is a vegan Malteser uh, kind of messaging. Oh. <laughs> and we, we don't contain malt and we've never considered, you know, positioned ourselves as a Malteser um, type of product. We're a bit different. We're a crispy rice um, chocolate um, but anyway, some people positioned that. So it was kind of managing the expectations and people were like, yeah, I like the product. It was tasty, but I was expecting a kind of a melty, malty oh, yeah, uh, yeah. type mm -hmm. core. And so we're actually, um, we're doing our second big manufacturing run um, actually, you know, in a couple of uh, probably about three weeks time. And we're actually updating the packaging to make it even more clear. Like, you know, this is a crispy rice core. Um, so that was another um, challenge that we faced. Um, and look, a, a number of others along the way, logistics and temperature control, shipping and, you know, you know, finding, you know, international um, importers and distributors yeah, in other yeah. countries. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, here's, that was a couple of examples of challenges. Well, as I said, it sounds like quite a, quite a lot. So what has kept you, you know, and keeps you going despite all of these multiple challenges? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, firstly, it's a, it's a really fun project. Like, I, I'm really enjoying kind of working on it. And the interesting thing is that we're actually a kind of a very, very lean team. So we actually don't have any full-time employees on this project. Um, so we're actually kind of solely working because we want to keep costs down and try to do things efficiently. So we work with a team of, like, uh, freelancers and contractors as well as volunteers. And so I'll, I really like the camaraderie of working together with like-minded folks um, as we're trying to work on this mission. And it kind of, you know, extends into the community as well. Like they keep me going. Um, I've had a number of messages like people are like, oh, I can't believe there's finally a, an affordable, tasty vegan chocolate. And, you know, I've been waiting for this. And those sort of messages really encourage as well as um, to, when I hear like a non-vegan come up and say, hey, that's really tasty. I like that. Um, I think that's very motivating and helps keep us going uh, through these rough patches and, and kind of growth pains as we kind of like scale it up. So based on all of these, like, is there anything that you wish that you had known already when you first started out? Like if, if, if you could have, if you could go back and do it again, like what would you do differently? <laughs> That's a great question. I think one thing I wasn't really aware of with chocolate was um, the ten temperature sensitivity so, you know, when it comes to like storage and, and, you know, shipping things around the place, you know, it tends to be like chilled and frozen. Like those are the two ambient chilled and frozen are the kind of the three temperature ranges. But chocolate confectionery is actually in its own kind of range. It's, you know, you have to set it at between 15 and 20 degrees. And, you know, in Singapore, how hot it gets in, in summer or a lot of the year, like chocolate will melt. Um, so you can't do it ambient, but, but chilled and frozen is too cold. So, you know, 
you know, perhaps I would have like, you know, had a second thought about which category to go into. But look, you know, we've found solutions and, you know, it's a bit more tricky, but we can work around it. But I am actually now starting to look at like, what else can we do apart from chocolates and, and how can we extend our chocolate range? So we're doing a bit of early research into some other categories. And I am keeping in the back of my mind, it would be nice if I could find an ambient product to work on. On that note, if I could just ask a little bit about like, you know, what you see for the future. So where do you see mm. yourself and the company, like maybe in the next 12 months and maybe in the next five years as well down the line? Yeah, sure. Um, so in the next 12 months, um, we definitely see ourselves as going to more countries. Um, we're looking at South Korea. We're looking at Singapore. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to kind of like take our first products and to go and um, bring them up because we actually have the manufacturing capability um, capacity to scale this thing up. Apart from that, I'd love to go and um, steadily expand the portfolio. So, you know, bringing on board, you know, not only new flavors, but new product types. I think there's a huge amount of um, space in this kind of like affordable but tasty vegan, you know, alternatives, as well as hopefully getting into some major kind of um, retail chains. I'd say like in five years, my goal is to have hopefully, you know, inspired and enabled, you know, a hundred other startups um, around the world on vegan projects. You know, we're only one team and, you know, there's a whole world of entrepreneurs and We've had people from Latin America who've reached out and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing something like that uh, myself and spoken to people in Taiwan who like, hey, I'd like to go and get something off the ground. So that's really the kind of bigger thing is to hopefully kind of spark, help support this movement. In line with that, do you have any advice for those out there who, like the, the one you mentioned just now from Latin America, who are trying to set up a company or go in the same direction that you are? One thing I would say is um, look at our example and, um, you know, even without the, you know, any background in food and not being able to cook or, you know, work in the kitchen or anything like that, like we were able to successfully launch a product. Mm. So think outside the box. You may find that you can go to an existing, you know, co-packer and work together with them on a, a vegan formulation or even take an existing product and say, hey, you're already making product X. Can we go and adjust these three ingredients, which are from, you know, animal derived? Can we go and swap them out and then, you know, and then we'll go and help market them. So I think that's, that's the thing um, is to, I would, my, my big advice would be to go and give it a shot mm-hmm. and, you know, and to go and, um, you know, try it out because, you know, oftentimes like the worst thing that will happen is you're not able to go and find anything or you can't find a product that works and that's fine, but you know, there's more products and you, there's no real harm in, in giving it a shot. Um, if you're not able to bootstrap it yourself, um, you know, you can go and like in parallel, like look for angel investors and look mm-hmm. for supporters. And one thing about the vegan community is it's, it's relatively small. It's still a minority, of, obviously, um, but it's very passionate. And there are uh, investors and, and mission-driven people um, who are very happy to support projects um, working on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, big picture um you don't have to start your own company like there's a lot of great kind of you know existing food companies who are launching vegan lines and and you know that's just really exploded as you know um over the last kind of 12 months so you can have a lot of impact even working within those companies and helping those projects get off the ground and be successful so you know whether it's in a, in a large company or a new startup um i'd say like if you're passionate about it you know just just go for it now now's a wonderful time and and the growth is really accelerating 
So um, on that note, thank you so much, Simon, for joining us today. It was very interesting to have you here. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, for Food Navigator Asia, I am Perth.